wasn't here yesterday, and uh, I won't go into the various things I was doing, but they weren't here. I did, we did, pull in here at 7.30, 20 after 7, and I could not believe, I mean, how could those trees around the perimeter uh, add up to what that looks like underground if I couldn't, well, well for one thing, I couldn't see anywhere. <laughs> it was all trees. So I just want to thank everybody that participated in that. It's impressive. And, uh, you can see the ground out there. Uh, so I have been uh, preaching on issues connected, subject connected to Anabaptism, Mennonite history, theology. And uh, uh, so I, I didn't start from scratch here with this this morning, but the challenge of uh, getting my thoughts together and the subject I want to focus on this morning is the Anabaptist view of uh, God, Christ, uh, the Trinity, and Christology. And I'll just say this it's an extremely challenging subject, and that was part of the challenge is figuring out, making sure that I understood what they believed. And and I'm trying to get it in some kind of format here that uh, makes sense and uh, trying to think through implications, applications. So the, the issues surrounding the study, I just don't like to eat the mic. We're all different heights and so on. The issues surrounding the study of the Trinity include who God is and uh, how he uh, reveals himself uh, to mankind, um, how it's possible for God to be one and yet three, what, uh, to what extent and by what means uh, does God uh, is God or Christ or the Holy Spirit present in the world uh, to unbelievers, uh, to believers? There, there are so many questions, and some of them do not have easy answers at all. Um, uh, in, what, in what sense is the divine and human? How? Is the divine and human combined in Christ? And in what sense are believers divine and human? And what, what, um, what changes take place in humans when they become converted? And um, what is the process for becoming more holy? There, there are just many, many things to consider. Uh, so this morning, I'm going to uh, look at three main things. Uh, first of all, the Bible's view of the Trinity, and then post-biblical attempts to understand the Trinity, and then uh, I, 
I'm going to focus on four uh, 16th century Anabaptist views of the Trinity in Christology and make some applications. And I realize that uh, these kind of issues, subjects that, I t- that I've been talking about in these sermons are kind of challenging and require um, require thinking. And some of the issues maybe for some of us are hard to grasp or hard to understand, hard to make sense of, or even maybe hard to see the importance of or how they relate to anything that matters. But I would say the, the issue of the Trinity and Christology has, has direct um, implications for uh, what it means to be a Christian and what, what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. So the Bible's view of the Trinity, uh, the Bible itself uh, simply assumed there's a God. It simply assumes there's a God. Uh, the reality of God is assumed. Uh, Exodus 3.14, uh, it says, well, God is talking to Moses and saying, I am who I am. That's just a statement and no explanation at all. And, and by the way, uh, there's this question whether, whether that is God the Father talking or Jesus Christ talking to Moses. And in my small mind, I'm wondering, how did Moses hear this? And how did he know it was God? Uh, but I'm not going to discuss that this morning. Uh, the, the biblical authors of the Bible were not preoccupied with, uh, probably the term would be metaphysical or philosophical speculation about who God is or how he is known, the nature of God. Their primary concern is, is what does God want and how does he want us to live? That, that is the primary concern in Scripture, and they weren't, they weren't focused on speculation about, about things, that, um, things that some of us wonder about. That's all I'll say about that. Um, however, the Bible raises theological issues about who God is and how God can be known. And uh, so in the Old Testament, uh, there's the problem of evil. And one of the best examples of the struggle with evil, the attempt to understand God in relation to evil, is Job. And uh, maybe we, in a Sunday school class, not here, maybe we could uh, talk about what did Job actually figure it out. What did he figure out about God in the midst of his pain and trouble? Uh, why does God allow the righteous to suffer? 
Uh, these are very practical questions concerning who God is and how He works with people. And how can God be good if God brings about or tolerates uh, injustice in the world? Um, and there's plenty of injustice in the world. And then the question of uh, three and one. Uh, the Old Testament is uh, what we would call monotheistic. There's one God. Uh, and yet we see even in the Old Testament places where uh, God is spoken of as more than one, like uh, let us make man in our image already in Genesis. Uh, plurality. Um, there's one God, not many gods. Uh, but then in the New Testament, we see maybe more um, explanation or not explaining so much evidence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, not explained so much as just that's how it is. So, the early church's experience of salvation in Christ and divine power through the Holy Spirit uh, raised questions, I think, in, even in the New Testament era of um, the meaning of three, the meaning of three and one. And how, how, what, what's the meaning of these events, these things that are happening? And we see some discussion of that with, uh, um, at Pentecost and also with Peter, with Cornelius. How can these things be? What is going on here? What is God doing here? Uh, and I want to say, I want to make a comment about, um, the um, three-in-one issue in the Old Testament. Uh, so Deuteronomy 6.4 in the New King James says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So some people take that verse to mean that uh, God is only one and He's not expressed in three personalities. He's one. Uh, so I, I am sure, uh, well, some translations translate that verse this way, more with this idea. Um, the Lord our God is the only true God. Not the idea of oneness in number, but the idea of uniqueness in person. There's only one of this kind. And I do believe that is the idea in the Hebrew. No other God is like uh, our God. So it's clear in the New Testament 
I'm leaving that idea behind. It's clear in the New Testament that the writers accepted fully what is called the deity of Christ and the personality of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There are many, many verses that speak of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, It's assumed and expressed in the New Testament. So, I have a number of verses here I'm just going to read. And and there are many, many. This is just a few. Matthew 3, 16 to 17. When he, Christ, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. First Thessalonians 1, 2 to 5, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Second Thessalonians two thirteen and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. I'm reading verses that speak of three. Three personalities of God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Ephesians 2, 18, for through him we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. Uh, Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Ephesians 5, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Second uh, Timothy 1, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remember the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hold fast the pattern of the sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. One more, Titus 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's just a small percentage of the many places where in several verses close together uh, he speaks of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Okay, post-biblical attempt to understand the Trinity. And this is a very, 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 very summarized. And, um, and actually, I, I don't think I uh, would have had the ability this morning to go into great detail about the uh, various councils, synods, and, and all the meetings related to 
<clears throat> struggles over the Trinity from the time of the New Testament until 1500. I, I'm not uh, prepared for that. But there were a number of significant councils, discussions that uh, discussed issues surrounding the meaning of the Trinity. And I'm going to mention only three. Three major ones. Uh, a huge challenge for these men in these discussions was uh, which Greek and Latin words to use to express what they understood the Bible to teach. And I'm going to mention uh, the two main, um, I guess the word is deviations. The two main deviations from the New Testament understanding of the Trinity during these discussions. The two main ones. Uh, the one was what is called Arianism, which made of Jesus only a creature and did not place enough emphasis on uh, what, what could be referred to. It's hard to know what words to use. Too much emphasis on uh, Jesus as human and not enough emphasis on Jesus. Uh, the technical words would be on Jesus being one of essence with God the Father. That's, that's the one deviation. Um, and, and then the other one is Sabellianism. Uh, which did not place enough emphasis on the separate personalities of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in effect made them one and the same person in their expression. So the, the uh, first uh, attempt I'm going to refer to discussion was the Nicaea, it was an attempt to clarify the relationship between the Father and Son, and I'll just say the conclusion. Uh, Christ is of the same, and they used a Greek word meaning substance. Christ is of the same substance with the Father. Uh, the second one I'll mention is Constantinople. Well, the first one I see was 325. This one is 381. Uh, they struggled with the relationship between the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and um, concluded that they are of the same substance. Chalcedon, Chalcedon, the third one, discussion in 451, uh, that one struggled with how the human and divine are united in Christ. And uh, the conclusion was that Christ is one uh, person or per persona uh, in two natures, divine and human. 
Um, so now I'll just say the the um, <clears throat> the implications of uh, who is God, Christ, Holy Spirit, and all these discussions. Uh, <clears throat> the further you move from a Christ who is fully human, uh, the more emphasis you place on the perfection of believers in the church. In other words. Um, the answers that are given to these questions do have practical implications in in the way people understand the scripture and in the way we who we understand the church should be and believers should be. It's very the discussions are, are very practical actually, even though they sound very rational and I have no idea what you're talking about sort of thing. They're very practical. Okay, the fourth, the four uh, 16th century Anabaptist views of the Trinity and Christology that I'm going to focus on, uh, and it's not like I'm uh, ignoring a whole bunch of other views. There were these main views, uh, but there were many little variations of them. So Anabaptists. Um, generally affirmed the Apostles' Creed and and the statements made by the councils that I referred to. Um, but they, they cared very little about uh, theologically or philosophically accurate statements about God or Christ. And, they, and they, they focused almost altogether on um, the implications. And, and perhaps in, in some ways, they may have even um, come to some conclusions about who God is based on what they understood the Bible to teach about how believers should live. I'm, I'm not saying that's terrible. I'm just saying... Their main concern was was what the Bible teaches about uh, obedience and following God, and uh, they they were very opposed to any philosophy or theological biblical explanations that undermined that. So the first um, group I have here. Uh, understanding of the Trinity and Christology is the South German Austrian Anabaptism uh, and represented by by men like Hans Dank and Hans Hoot. Uh, these men and the position they held had a strong uh, mystical element uh, they didn't see much distinction between the divine and human, between the natural and the supernatural. Uh, they focused on the potential capacity of human beings to participate in the divine nature. And they, they uh, focused a lot on the connection between 
uh, justification, sanctification, or being being saved in how we live. Um, there was a um, in the, among this group, there was a some who had a strong link between conversion, uh, interpreted as the birth of his son within the human soul. Um, it's just just about deified humans in the conversion. And of course, this had a practical implications. They also focused on moral, ethical perfection. And this, this was all in a spiritualist, a very spiritualist uh, framework. Uh, the second group I have is the Hutterites uh, of Austria and Moravia, uh, which was a later phase of the same group that I just talked about, different people, but among the same groups. Uh, these, the Hutterites, emphasized a more separatist and in, not as, I'm not saying they weren't as spiritual. They weren't as They weren't as focused on, uh, they weren't spiritualists. I don't know if that makes any sense, in the sense that the other group was. They focused more on, on a separatist and internally disciplined spirit. Uh, and it was achieved primarily through um, the community, community Uniformity, uh, Hutterites, of course, known for living in community, having everything in common, and their understanding uh, of God, their comments about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit uh, were, were understood in terms of the moral and ethical implications for the life of the community. And I don't have here um, more to say about that. There is more that could be said, but the, the kind of statements they made. The third group I have is the North German Dutch, from which uh, Mennoniteism primarily descended from. And this is represented by Menno Simons. So Menno Simons' view um, of the Trinity and of Christ is directly connected to his view of salvation and the church. And I'll try to describe this. Uh, for Menno Simons, Christ is central in his theology. Uh, for no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. That was on every, that verse was on every uh, thing he wrote. 
In his eight-page discussion of the Trinity, six pages are about Christ, which maybe is a good thing. The centrality of Christ has practical implications for him. Um, He said, Christians are partakers of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and nature and live according to the word of the Lord by the power of Christ which is in them. This is, according to Scripture, to be really believing, to be Christian, to be in Christ, and Christ in us. So Menno's Christology is connected to his view of conversion. Uh, The term is soteriology. And his view was that Christ brought his human body from heaven. And that might seem weird to you, or like, what difference does this make? But it made a big difference for Menno. He affirmed that Christ had a true human body, flesh, but he believed that this flesh was in no way the fruit of Mary's womb, but it came from heaven. And therefore, in his mind, that allowed Jesus' body to be holy and divine. Um, I think I winced a little bit there because I'm thinking about other things. And what should I say to clarify? So he seemed to think that the evil nature of man is located in the body. Uh, in flesh, and since all people are who are out of the flesh of Adam's fallen flesh, which Mary had fallen, the fallen flesh of Adam, in his thinking, since all people are out of this flesh and cannot help themselves spiritually, man needs a Savior who does not have fallen sinful flesh. Um, So he was trying to uh, avoid this problem of Christ having fallen flesh and blood of fallen mankind. And so he accomplished this by saying that Christ did not become flesh and Mary, but in Mary. Christ had a human body, but this human body came from heaven just as his deity came from heaven. One implication of this, he said that Christ was not capable of sinning, could not have, wasn't able to. Um, And he said that in the same way that Christ's humanity was out of Mary and from heaven, and not from Mary, and not contaminated by sin. He said, at conversion, the sinner is born anew out of God, not from God, which which is a being very technical with prepositions, which um, uh, I personally question the value of that or whether that is um, 
appropriate way to approach this kind of subject. But uh, he did say, though, that even though the believer is born out of God and thereby united with the divine Christ, the believer never becomes divine. He did say that, which is good. Uh, in relation to the church, then, he said that the church is the body of Christ and therefore is holy, divine, perfect in the way that Jesus was, his body. And, of course, the difficulty with that is that he struggled, he struggled to... Um, he struggled to be able to acknowledge that that the, that believers still have the capacity to sin, and and rather than rather than focus on how to help believers avoid sin or deal with temptation or grow, there was more focus on uh, perfecting uh, excommunication. And I'm trying hard here not to be unfair. Um, so, Dutch Anabaptism rejected his Menno's heavenly flesh view uh, I think by 1800, but they did maintain much of his theology. And now I want to say this, that uh, I don't know at what point I realized that this is Menno's, this is what he thinks. Uh, when I wrote my thesis, I, I read Menno Simon several times, the whole book. And he was uh, one chapter in the thesis, and uh, I, I was kind of troubled. Wasn't sure to make of it all. And I, so I asked uh, my one professor, without saying anything to him about uh, what I was seeing, I just asked him what his thoughts are about mental assignment. And you have to understand, this was a professor who could talk about any, any, anybody in church history from the time of Christ to the present, and off the cuff just say what he believed and how he differed from people of his own time. And it was really quite, I don't know, I'm not sure how he knew all of that or how to do it. But anyway, his response to me was, yes, uh, Madam Simons had some difficulty with his uh, his beliefs about about Christ, how he came into the world, and uh, he had some difficulty with some things like that. But but he he was a good theologian. And you don't you don't have to get too bent out of shape here about about mental assignments, which kind of relieved me. I didn't know what he was going to uh, do with my thesis. Uh, anyway, that was his response. Okay, I want to mention Marpeck yet, Pilgrim Marpeck. Um, 
He affirmed both the full earthly humanity of Christ and Christ's divinity. And he, he disagreed with Mount Sinai. Uh, he said that in Christ there is an essential union in one person of the human nature and divine nature. He said that the Holy Spirit made the resurrected Christ present to believers. Uh, he he worked up, he worked really hard to acknowledge or to uh, address uh, who what the church is in light of who Christ is, and uh, had a lot of good good things to say in its in counsel to give about these issues, and I won't go into that. So my summary this morning. Most Anabaptists tried to affirm, intended to affirm, the orthodox teachings of Scripture and the councils. And at the same time, they grappled with the implications of orthodox teaching about the Trinity and Christology, the implications for how believers live. And uh, part of the difficulty was they would look at what Catholics and Lutherans and Reformed said about the Orthodox doc doctrines, and then they would examine how their people lived, and then they would struggle with, well, what might be wrong with what they believe? So that this was part of the... Um, process and struggle for Anabaptists. Marpeck's understanding of the Trinity and Christology reduced the perfectionist tendencies of Anabaptism. Uh, he said believers are being saved, they are being redeemed, they are being delivered from sin, but they have not yet left their humanity behind or been perfected. Now, one of the difficulties here is that um, Mark Peck's understanding of these things did not become the mental Simon's views became more the norm than Mark Peck's historically. Uh, in, uh, here's another thing I want to say. In our attempts to express who God is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who Christ is, I think we need to avoid some ditches. So the one ditch is to make the Trinity out to be one, uh, such as only Jesus. Another one, to emphasize the divine and spiritual and perfection at the expense of the human and the process of sanctification. Uh, another one ditch is to emphasize the human and human ceremonies and rules. And I think this may be uh, just the Hutterite uh, emphasis as well as the Dutch. To emphasize that and fail to emphasize the power of the risen and present Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
And, I, and by saying that, I'm not saying that ceremony and structure has no value or isn't necessary. I'm, I'm just saying uh, to, to depend on that as the primary motivation for spirituality uh, is not helpful. Another thought, if Jesus Christ is indeed both divine and human, and if the church is the body of Christ, then the church is the place where God's people receive people as human beings living in a fallen world and not yet perfected. It's the place where people work to disciple people into more fully mature believers who can work in the kingdom of God as opposed to um, as opposed to discipline or uh, excommunicating people who haven't reached a certain level of perfection. Um, Although followers of Menno Simons left his faulty Christology behind by 1800, in general, uh, conservative Mennonites, I believe, have maintained the view that the church is the pure body of Christ and have struggled to develop methods that help believers grow towards spiritual and emotional maturity. That's, that's my view. Um, and I, I think one, uh, one place where this, um, where I've felt this, seen this, heard this, and I'm, I'm not talking about Gladys. Um, one place I've seen this is, is the, it's not stated, kind of assumed view that that uh, at conversion a believer is totally, totally perfected. And uh, maybe when I say it that way, you think, well, that's not even true. You just made that up. Well, I didn't just make that up. And the degree to which uh, I'm thinking primarily of pastors, the degree to which they, people believe that varies a lot. I know that. But uh, this this is one of the um, it's one of the I think beliefs tendencies that we've inherited as Mennonites. And uh, please understand me, I'm not trying to be critical of Mennonites. Uh, that's who I am, and I think there are many things about what we've inherited that's good, and even many things about our understanding of salvation that is good. But that is one. That is one area that I think uh, ends up getting us uh, in difficulty. My time has passed, and I will sit down. Thank you.